Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? You're trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. You could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night, Entrepreneurship and Leadership channel listener on the new book. Network. I'm here with my co-host Keeman, and today we've got a very special guest, Dori Molitor, if I pronounce your name correctly. Uh, so welcome, 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 Dori. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And um, what I normally do, rather than try to introduce you based on my reading of your LinkedIn and excellent web page, I ask people to introduce themselves in the same way they would if they met someone at a business networking event or a party with the proviso, do it in a couple of minutes rather than 15. Okay, okay. Well, I'm Dory Molitor, as you already heard, and I am honored to be here with um, you two gentlemen and the world. Um, so my background is somewhat interesting in that I um, am one of 12 children. And I grew up on a small family farm, which was actually the same farm that my great great grandfather founded when he came over from Germany in 1860. So it's over 150 years in the family um, in a small town um, 200 people where, in where, Minnesota. Where is this town? It's in I was just going to say Minnesota, <laughs> USA, a uh, little town called Rockville. Um, and actually for my young age, I went to a one room schoolhouse um, for my education, which was um, one of the last one room schoolhouses closed here um, in the US. So um, from there, I... Can I, just, can I just interject? Because actually my mom went to a one-room schoolhouse and I'm quite certain that most of the people listening will have no idea what that means, even not to mention European or whatever, international, even Americans. One room, if I, can correct me if I'm wrong, a one-room schoolhouse means you have all the grades in, exactly. one, in one class. Yep, my, my schoolhouse, I used to joke with my husband that I walked a mile to school <laughs> every day and back and he laughed at me and measured it and it was actually over a mile. So it was a small room, literally one room, one teacher. And in this one school, we, they taught grades one through eight. Yeah, um, so the same teacher, one through eight, there were only 15 kids there. And actually, I was related to every one of those students except for one. So again, it was this immigration over to this area, and then they invited their other relatives. And so, I mean, it was like an extended family in this one-room schoolhouse. Nice. So you started out there, and, uh, and did you... Wait, were your parents actually, it was your grandparents, sorry, who were the immigrants? Like, did, did you speak, grow up, was there any other my, languages or, or were you? My great-great-grandfather um, founded the farm with his son. Um, and then it was my grandfather and then my parents and okay. then my brother that um, ran the farm. And it was my, so, um, you know, it's multiple generations and it was my great grandfather who actually was instrumental in setting up that schoolhouse and he taught at it uh, originally. That's cool. And well, so you basically you were a farm, like you grew up doing farm things. like working. I sure did. 
Um, I, I sure did. I'm one of 12 children, which I mentioned, but um, there were nine girls and three boys in a 16 year span. So a lot of kids wow. in that span. Um, and one of the blessings out of that is that there were so many women, girls versus boys. And I grew up in a household where there weren't boy jobs and girl jobs. So I went through that my childhood and my whole career, I just never had this gender bias mm. because I was happened to be the fifth girl in a row before two boys came, mm. then four girls and then one boy. So um, we did, we did, um, there weren't boy job, girl jobs. One of my favorite things was running, um, doing the field work. Um, and running the large equipment, sitting on top of a piece of equipment, 25 feet high, 40 feet wide, wearing my bikini, because my dad said, you want a suntan, just wear your bikini. So um, that was what we did. And it's still kind of a joke about the Molitor girls out there in the field with their bikinis. So bikini and a tractor, that's the story. <laughs> the locals... The locals, you're, you're probably popular with the locals, I guess. The local, whoever would drive by would be like, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they took trips just for no reason, but we were getting the work done. My dad was happy. Mm. That's, that's amazing. And so when, when you were growing up, I know it obviously sounds sort of potentially quite idyllic, but did you actually sort of grow up and think, I, this is going to be my life? Or was there a stage where you thought, I want to get out of here and go somewhere else? Or Because it can be quite... I, I spent some of my childhood in a small village and it's not for everyone. Yeah. Um, well, I had really big dreams when I was a kid. Um, my four older sisters, uh, we went to the one room schoolhouse and then to a high school nearby. So my four older sisters all graduated at age, age 18 and got married at age 19. But I had really big dreams. I wasn't looking at wedding dresses. I was going to be a secretary for someone important. <laughs> so that was my dream. Um, why, and why, 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 why? Hey, come on. What's the bad? Like, was it a TV show? Like, how, what, what could possibly exposure could you have had that made you decide on that dream? I just am fascinated, actually, by that. How did you know, as I look back in my life, I think that. My big why still today, when I'll talk a little bit more about the work I do now and the work I've done my full career, I had this underlying need to be significant. I wanted to impact lives. I wanted to have significance, partly um, for my parents, I'll tell you why in a minute, but also for myself. So I think that being, I at that time, the biggest dream would be that I'd be a secretary for someone that was having influence and important. And that would be my way of getting that fulfillment. So I don't, I think part of that need for significance comes from, um, my parents are both still living. My dad, um, in, in fact, together on the farm. Um, my dad is 94. And my mom is 88. They are, um, um, I mean, self-sufficient, living on the farm. Um, and when I grew up, they, my dad especially, always said, oh, I'm just a dumb farmer. Oh, I'm just a dumb farmer. What do I know? He was talking a, about himself, not about you. He was talking about himself. Himself. 
And I, way then, could see the respect he had in the community, his national awards for high production dairy herd. Um, and he always, like, very humble and downplayed his influence. And yet he's the kind of guy that at a high school game, if he'd walk in, everybody'd be like, hey, there's your dad. Hi, Andy. Hi, Eunice. He was very social, very outgoing. So I think part of it was I wanted to prove they were significant, that they weren't just dumb farmers. And I wanted to have significance myself. Okay. So how did you go about uh did, did you succeed? <laughs> did you become a <laughs> I'm not done though. I'm not done. You're not there yet, but you're on the way, right? This isn't well. Well, I'll tell you the first step of succeed. Um, okay, there are still seven children at home when I graduate from high school, so certainly my parents um, aren't going to pay for my education. And to be honest, I didn't even know anyone that had gone to college. So I went to a vocational school, is what we call it, and got uh, my degree to be a secretary. So I'm really good at shorthand and typing still today. And I went walking down the main street in the town next to us, which was the larger town, looking for someone important. And I, there was a bank I walked in and did they have any jobs? I walked into a county assessor's office. And then I, I, I mean, it's just like fate. I see on this two-story brick building. It says Congressman R. Nolan. And I'm like, wow, now that would be someone important. So I walked into the building and um, I expected his office to be right there. And it was this dingy long hall. And it was like a couple of attorneys and um, accountants and an optical place. I, I, I walked and walked and walked down this hall. That seemed like 50 feet. And I didn't see his office. And so I turned around and I went back out at the building, continued walking down St. Germain Street, looking for someone important. And I remember when I got to the end of the block, almost like it was yesterday, I said to myself, now, Dory, if you're going to give up that easy, where are you going to get in life? And feeling conspicuous and silly, I turned around, went back to that building, walked down that hall, and the last office on the right said Congressman R. Nolan. Now, I can cut this short, but I ended up getting one of two paid positions on his reelection campaign. So I worked there for nine months. He offered me a job in Washington, D.C. So at the age of 19, having never been out of the state of Minnesota, I moved to Washington, D.C. on his staff with um, Congressman Rick Nolan. And um, I worked for him um, for four years. On the second camp, two years later, I came back and had a key management role on his reelection campaign. And then I went back and I was a full legislative assistant um, working for him around issues related to small business and women which is still my passion and has been my focus through my whole career. Yeah, but right now, just to take like the pause or like the little lesson, I mean, and because we see this, like, I mean, the, you know, we, we, we talk to all these entrepreneurs and like, right, just right there, the fact that 
just what, not even going going back. Going back is obviously you know you, you, the greater the determination. But just walking down the street and going into places and saying, "Are you looking for a job? Are you looking for anybody?" A lot of people don't even do that. You know what I mean? Like that. That's like that's just like you took matters into your own. I mean, I, I clearly that was in your DNA somehow. Or, or did you have a mentor? Did you? Was there anyone giving you tips about how to, to did it when you arrived walking down? That had someone told you that this is what you do, or did you just figure it out? No, that was the problem. There was no training on how you find a job. So um, I, when I graduated, and I graduated early because of my credentials, I mean, literally, I put on my light blue pastel suit, you know, because that's what we wore back then. Um, it's light blue skirt top, my pe- uh, pastel multicolored scarf, manila folder with my resumes. And it's like, I didn't know where, how else, but pick Main Street. St. Jane Street, and I just went hunting. So no, there was no mentor, no advice, which is crazy. And so, so and neither the one rooms, the one school room, or the one Run room school, one room school, nor at the secretarial course did was there anything about like the world of work because some of the image of, i'm not american obviously as you can probably hear the image of america is like the one thing americans are famous for is like work and entrepreneurship as a sort of culture and there was no and might, you might have got it in the background you've got to go out and work but maybe you just figured it out for yourself so. well i mean two things related to that number one i wanted a job in high school and most parents want their kids to work we couldn't uh, we, uh, we need, they needed our hands on right. the farm. So I was dying to get a real job where I would get some money. Number okay. one, number two, I, when I look back again, my parents were very entrepreneurial. I'm one of 12 children. Eight of us have owned our own businesses. So I think that entrepreneurial drive is partly in our DNA, but it's also how we grew up. It was, you know, believe in what you um, are doing, you work hard, um, and you do it for yourself. So I guess on the farm, you're solving problems. I I expect that's what you're doing. Like you can't go to the, you know, you don't get a guy or uh, somebody to come in and fix this, fix that. You need to solve your own problems. I think that's a big part of the, I'm not, because that's really interesting though, the connection between 12 children, a farm and eight, uh, eight entrepreneurs. I think that's, that's actually really interesting. And I wonder if there's like, it's the problem solving part of it. It's like, you need to be able to be adept and be able to handle things and changes and not everything goes the way you plan. Basically. Right. Well, as a farmer, um, I mean, a big determinant and whether you're going to have a successful year or not is weather, the yes. weather, and you have no control over that. We have a major, major drought here this year, one of the worst for 70 years, um, and that's hurting farmers. They better have saved up from last year. So I think that's one thing um, is not having that control and um, having to be able to be resourceful, problem solve, optimistic. Hmm. Um, and And as a dairy farmer, you work seven days a week. 365 days a year. Um, this isn't very polite, my, but my dad said, would always say, the cows don't care if it's Christmas. They still need to shit and be fed. <laughs> so we, it was a 365 day a year job. And so you approach life that way. You, you're not doing a time clock. Yes. You're, um, yes. and, and I think the other thing I learned from that 
is because you're working a lot, you make it fun. I really had no, it wasn't a negative thing to have to be in the field bailing hay for literally 10 to 12 hours because it, I know you were with your siblings and people were joking and you made it fun and my parents made it fun. So it became a lifestyle, not like, oh, check into work right. and, and check out. And for me, even in my whole business, my work and my personal life has been very, very integrated. My kids mm -hmm. knew my staff intimately. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, my CFO, they called their second mom because if I forgot to put money in the mm -hmm. um, in their lunch thing um, and they couldn't get lunch, they'd just call Sue and say, hey, I can't get lunch. Can you give us some money? <laughs> so, so Dory, talking about money, you mentioned the motivations, like one was kind of wanting to prove that maybe your parent about the status of your parents to prove they were more significant than they they were more than just dumb farmers you were wanted to be significant in your own life somehow by working for someone who's doing something important and you mentioned the page do you remember how much you you were paid and how far were you financially motivated because obviously i imagine it wasn't a luxury you weren't a, you weren't a rich household you were you probably weren't hungry but you weren't you probably didn't have money to splash around on too many luxuries, I would imagine. But yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Um, uh, I would say money was not a motivator. And I had to actually discipline myself more in my business um, to be more disciplined on the hard financial side versus the other side, the emotional side. Um, it was about, and it still is really, about quality of life. And, um, and yes, and I have been very successful in my own agency. I have an, uh, in my, all of my work, I have a great lifestyle. Um, but that doesn't mean I need a lot to be happy. I get that happiness is much more than material things. And it, and actually it's really a lot more about having purpose and feeling like the work that you're doing is meaningful. And I think one philosophy I have that's different than most entrepreneurs or most anyone that works is people believe you have to choose money or purpose. And I completely disagree from the age of 19. When I went to Washington, I had purpose and I made money. From there, um, I did eventually get my college degree. Um, at, um, and then um, I worked for General Mills for a while four years and realized that that wasn't as motivating. So that's when I went off and started my own business, still at a very young age. Well, why but, did you do the college degree? Did you feel like, what was the motive? Like, this is always interesting for me. And was it worthwhile? And was it worthwhile? Or was it just something that you felt like it was something you had to do is like, like, you know? No, it was a, it was a validation. I think mm -hmm. when I worked in, when I went to DC, I, uh, I did, was determined I was going to get a college degree eventually. And I know people were like, ah, she'll never do it after being out there for four years. Right. But when I was there, I had five interns that were seniors in college reporting to me. Right. Um, they're about to graduate. And once in a while, they'd say, where'd you go to school? And I'm right. like, I didn't. So I was very determined um, it, it's, I think it was more of a validation for me that, yep, yeah, I can do that too. So I, I went to the University of Minnesota, the business school, uh, Carlson School of Management, which is 
very well, well known, very uh, reputable. Um, graduated with highest distinction because everything I do, I need to take it <laughs> to the whole level. Um, and from there, um, and I'm very glad I did, but here's, uh, from there I went to General Mills for four years. Great company. Um, and actually they paid me to learn so much more. Um, but I, um, where was I going with this? But I, as I went into my agency work, all of my clients, pretty much all of them were Fortune 500 companies. 99% of my clients had master's uh, MBAs, master's in business. I didn't. I never brought that up. But it was so unusual that I am working at CMO level in those kinds of companies and didn't have a business degree. Now, with that, I say, my education doesn't necessarily come from those books like that. Exactly. Yes, I can crack it. I had straight A. I had one B in photography all through college. I, I took a photography class. The guy gives me a B. And, and so anyway, um, I think that I, I have a high emotional intelligence. I think I'm very aware with people, their subconscious motivators, um, and I, that helped me in understanding culture, understanding what women consumers wanted, understanding what my clients needed for their own personal achievement and profession. So um, I, don't, I don't think the degree is important at all, um, but I needed it then just for, for my validation. And now from my own agency, which I uh, internationally recognized agency that I ran for 30 years, and I can tell you why I pivoted, but um, I'm still, now I'm more in the self-education industry, which I think is way bigger um, and, um, and uh, will really take the place of traditional schooling and college. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely there. I mean, I, I, it was actually hard for me to believe that you would actually go back because like, I'm sure you were way better educated than those college senior girls <laughs> after you were running. Like, they're, like they're, there's nothing that they could like, you know what I mean? So I mean, but I guess it was again, it was more of an internal thing than and, and that you, and you confirmed that. I, I'm a bit interested here because like, because you jumped or at least, you, well, it's just not clear to me how you so you went to General Mills and you were working in the marketing, like where were you working? And then like, how did you get the skills? Cause like, and I also totally buy into the fact that the real education happened there, not at business school, but at the job, basically. When you went to General Mills, probably that's when you learned like the nuts and bolts. But maybe talk a little bit about what you got involved in, what you were passionate about, and then what made you ultimately um, set off and set up your own business, your own agency. When you say what I'm involved in and passionate about, what do you, what do you mean? At, I mean, at, so from a job point of view, what were you oh. doing at General Mills? At, you were in the, I assume you were in marketing. Maybe, maybe yeah. for some, yeah. of our, some of our audience to explain what General Mills is, because <laughs> we, we know that some of our listeners might be, might be in a village in Vietnam, for example, and don't know. Well, General Mills is a global company and they are all the big G cereal brands. They're Betty Crocker, they're Nature Valley, um, uh, uh, Yoplait, uh, the yogurts. So it's a, uh, it, it is 
one of the largest um, global food companies. Mm-hmm. So when I went there and, um, and I mean, here's another, I guess you mentioned earlier, I'm very persistent and like, I kind of know where I want to go. I'm intentional with my life. And my husband would say, I'm, I'm unstoppable. I like, I, I, I'm not, um, I'm just determined and persistent. So when I was in uh, college and I am top of my class in marketing, when before I started college, um, I drove by General Mills corporate headquarters every day going to and from college. And I decided that when I graduate, I want, I'm going to work at General Mills again, sounds important, right? So, um, they posted a job for marketing and, um, uh, I was not invited to do the interview. So I, of course, go into the recruiting office and it's like, why would I not be on that list? And they go, oh, we made a mistake. We put in accounting grads versus marketing grads. It was our mistake. And in their mind, oh, that's interchangeable. Well, I was insistent, but I should be there. That's where I always wanted to work. You know that. So they're like, well, we'll see if we can add you on the list. So the woman said no. She was coming in for a, um, two days of interviews, I believe, a day and a half. And I went to that the recruiting office every day. Is there? Did someone cancel? Can I get in, on the list? I went every day for two weeks. Finally, they she was. It was the day before, and they go, okay. The woman's <laughs> name was Anne. She's decided she'll stay and put one more person. I'm like, great. So I have this interview with her, which I felt was the worst interview I ever had because she was uh, ended up being my manager later, but um, very tough, very intelligent. And I felt she was asking trick questions like, are you a generalist or a specialist? I'm like, oh, never thought about that, you know, at that point in your life. So anyway, I ended up and I did get that job at General Mills. And um and it was, um, and I say it was the best education I ever got, and I was paid for it because it was hands-on. It was real. Um, I was managing campaigns that really went to market, that sold product, that people bought. Um, and so, uh, and I'm working with the most intelligent marketers. They general I was a test when they hired me. They before that they had always hired um, people out of the top three graduates from the top Ivy League schools with master's degrees. Right. So, MBAs. Pardon? MBAs. MBAs. Yeah. And they would go to Harvard, Yale. It was it was the top schools. So I was a bit of a test. So I'm working with these intelligent people and um and I just, I'm an absorber. I learned a lot. I learned a lot on just even culture, business practices. Um, and that was quite frankly, those are very different people than I grew up with. I mean, these are now, no, they aren't Minnesota people. They are, are mostly uh, brought in from the East coast, West coast. So, um, so uh, I loved my work there. I, I loved it. It was a great company. I was on a fast track of promotion, of being promoted, but it just wasn't filling my soul. And um, uh, I, um, I think another trigger I had, I had then gotten married about a year or two 
uh, prior had a, um, I don't remember the marriage exactly. I'd have to figure out the years where that fell in, but I got pregnant and had our first child and she was born in November and I left the company in May. And I think that also was a changing point in my life where I realized everything matters so much more. The job was great. I was learning a lot, but it really wasn't fulfilling to me. And so that's when I left and um, actually initially um, joined and with my husband and we started our first agency together. So I have a six month old baby. We built a a nice house and moved in two weeks before she was born. So I have a brand new house, a six month old baby, baby, and I quit my job um, (laughs) for he and I to hope we can do it on our own. <laughs> but you thought about that. I mean, you guys and you were, so this is, you were doing this with your husband and you were thinking, okay, what can we like this? Obviously you planned it for a while. I assume you, you this wasn't a sudden decision. You'd planned it for a while and you just decided that what, like this, like what, and what, why, and what, what was your purpose? Like what was this agency going to do? And why was this going to be more fulfilling than working for General Mills? Yep. Um, so my husband had worked in the advertising world most of his career, and so he was now running his um, a small advertising agency, and I could see that um, the future of his agency depended on him having, he was definitely a, a creative genius, and I felt that the world of integrated marketing, you need the strategic side in order for that to really um, continue to lead it with a change in the industry. So I looked at that and, and thought that's what he needs. And initially I, I suggested my boss talk to him and be a partner. Yeah. Then all of a sudden I'm like, well, wait, why am I having her do that? I want to do it. <laughs> so um, when I left and we joined up, I brought the strategic marketing planning side. He was the creative side. And um, and our first, why it was going to be different was kind of twofold. One is everyone at that time was advertising was over here. PR was over here. Every, nothing was integrated. And we went with this whole idea that it was about one voice and all uh, that the brand would have one voice. All of these things should be, all these different elements of marketing should be working together. And big agencies weren't able to figure that out at that point because they all had their specialty. Um, And additionally, um, I really wanted to, as a woman, um, I wanted to bring a differentiation in understanding women better than anyone else out there because women, spend their husband's paycheck and their own. They buy 85% of everything at retail, whether um, everything. So that was um, the piece of bringing it together. And I think there's an interesting entrepreneurial opportunity here that if you think about the origin story of your company together with your husband, you spotted that your skill set and experience together with an existing perhaps a smaller, I'm assuming smaller business could create something much more valuable. And sometimes, you know, it's not to do with capital that you're bringing to a business. It's not to do with particular, it might be a customer, but sometimes bringing your know-how into an organization can be transformational. And so particularly for people listening to this podcast who are, you know, maybe they've got a corporate job for 10, 20 years doing something. There might be someone out there 
with whom they could do something really amazing, putting in their industry experience. Right. Into, because into, they do have that very specific experience. Uh, in, yes, sir. And, and so I, I was just saying, did, did you have that sense, or did it was it was it more like into? And obviously, you spend so much time with your husband. You're like you're not exactly doing a wide sweep of opportunities, or maybe you were, but it was just staring you in the face across across the dinner table. Well. Um, well, I think, well, obviously it was convenient there. I mean, I spoke, but that wasn't my main reason. Um, I knew I knew he was a creative genius. Um, it was in my best interest too, if I could take that and make that bigger, better. Um, it was in our family's best interest. Um, and um, uh, what was I gonna say in addition to that? Um, Maybe the other choices, we're talking about the other choices you might have had apart from the choice you made, why you went for this one. Yeah, I, I mean, if I knew I wanted to do my own thing, so why would I just go start my own thing when this is kind of a, a, a seed already planted and mm -hmm. I could help nourish that? And, and I knew, I am very good at recognizing different people's skills and superpowers. And I could see how, what I had, we were very complimentary and it's gonna sound bad, but, but I could make it happen. He isn't, he's sure. creative. He's not a process guy. I'm not a big process guy either, but I know how to get the right people in the right place. I am an amazing orchestra conductor. Getting, you're a getting things done person. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm a results driven, absolutely. But it, but I'm, but to do it, um, it's not like I have to do everything. I'm really good at orchestrating the team, managing. Yeah, yeah. And also, we often ask about ego, and for a lot of entrepreneurs, we see we often come across different entrepreneurs who the ones who have succeeded, and we usually talk to people who are successful, are quite aware, have become aware during their career that their ego can be a barrier. And it's, the example here is that it didn't have to be your own thing. You were happy to join your husband's thing rather than it didn't have to be the dory project in order for you to be happy right it was it was enough that it i don't do, do you understand where i'm coming from on that was that last question do you understand where i'm coming from did, did you feel that there was any sacrifice to your own personal achievement by it not being all your project your own baby no and again that comes from i mentioned in my childhood no gender difference there i mean i it, i'm not about notching up on who's got a higher level on the organization chart. I'm about getting the team to dance together on the dance floor. And as a result, I mean, I'll just give an example. So as we went forward, uh, my husband um, was, a uh, let's say he stayed in the agency probably about 10 years. I was had the agency for a total of 30. So he eventually, restless creative genius, you know, moved on to photography and other stuff. But um, um, in, but it, as we went forward, um, I'll give you one example when it's about, when I think what a lot of business is missing too is the importance of nurturing and leading a team and hiring the right people that want to dance together on the dance floor. And I think one of, of my differentiators and why my agency was so successful um, is we, we're a small group. We, are, we held just one, we, we held nine best in the world honors. 
more than any global agency at the time had. And, um, the, and we were at the front edge, the cutting edge, but we were small. And part of that, why I think we were so successful is because I created what I call a values-driven agency. I, I originally hired people because of their credentials. Oh, they have an MBA. I don't. I'll put that with me. That's a nice compliment. Well, I, I eventually figured out you can teach the skills that the power comes by having people that share the same values. And um, for me, I look for people that were resourceful, people that were into personal growth, always wanting to grow, people that were team over, over ego, people that had high moral standards. And by bringing them together, we worked so well together. And I'm, I, one of my traits is a maximizer. I, it, I have to go from good to great. So the team would get there and I'd be part of helping to get it one level above what the industry's doing. Um, so as a result, we were phenomenally effective. Um, I had staff that were with uh, the agency for 26 years, 25 years, and I'm not doing that business any longer. And I'll tell you why I pivoted, but um, they are still friends and they travel together on personal vacations. And it, it, I kind of feel like I created this family network beyond just my household. Um, but uh, it, they enjoyed working together. They were really good at complimenting each other. And we were all in it for the same thing. And it wasn't ego. Yeah, so I was going to ask about purpose because you you mentioned the the reason one of the reasons you moved from General Mills was because of the issue of purpose, and you referred to being phenomenally successful. And and obviously in business you have to make money in order to survive. Can you put some numbers to your success? I mean, in general, you know, maybe sort of top line revenue or revenue per head or size number of employees, how big you got and what your definition of success was, because I'm thinking it's not going to be just about the, the, the top line revenue and the bottom line profit, but, but maybe if you could share anything like what was the best year you ever had? And, and also in this catalogue of successes, did you have any mistakes or failures at all? Or was it all the time? So I've, I've bundled several questions, but I'm, I'm interested to know if anything ever went wrong and also how much money you were making. Yeah. Um, Okay, so in the business for a while, I thought it was about being bigger, bigger, more staff, right? And I discovered that once we got over 20, I didn't enjoy it as much. And so my goal was not about being bigger, bigger, add more from that standpoint. Um, and because it was more fulfilling and equally profitable to be smaller with less overhead if you're you know it's it's all a matter of overhead versus your revenues coming in so at um so at one so at one point we got bigger and then i went for intentionally got smaller and deeper so i evolved from let's be an agency where you have a lot of doers doing a lot of work and from there i evolved into being more of um marketing consultants where uh, it was the reverse, a few really intelligent thinkers at the top and a few doers 
at the bottom. So it was the reverse triangle. Um, and and that and there and that that was the right thing for what was going on in the industry. I didn't want to be competing. I couldn't compete with as global agencies became more and more networked and bought out. Um, when we would pitch a business, they expect you to do uh, work for free, show what you're thinking. And we'd be this small group of 10 people competing against a global network that had, had teams on it from six different offices around the world. And so that we really couldn't compete in that, which is why I went deeper. And really, we were the leading agency on uncovering women's subconscious needs and desires. And when we put that focus to that, um, to really be about understanding women better than anyone else does and being a brand consultant versus doing agency creative and execution. Um, my clients were Pfizer, well, General Mills was a client, United Healthcare, Novartis. Um, and so we kind of, we did the reverse of that. So to put a number to it is sort of meaningless in that it's like, well, how many staff did you have? But um, we were generally, I mean, like it'd be, it would rate like 3 million in, in, um, in revenues. But again, I was for the longest, uh, as we got into the consulting, we were 10 people. Um, and then I also was very early on um, uh, doing contract workers. No one was really doing that, but I, I did because I still wanted those creative resources. I knew the industry. So I'd have my core and then we would contract out. And sometimes it would be a one-year contract. Uh, we brought in an interim creative director once that was, you know, just on board for a year and a half. Um, so we were doing the contract work and the virtual work before it was really even happening in the industry. I have a question um, that, uh, you know, it's always interesting to me. So like, and this, we have to go back a little bit, maybe to the beginning, but like, so you said you have all these fortune 500 um, clients, like, how do you get clients? How'd you get clients? Like that's, that's like, that's, 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 well, usually, I mean, it sounds like you have a fabulous process and you're great at recruiting and you're obviously very good at managing people and getting people, motivating them and everybody rowing in the same direction. That's all fine and dandy, but somebody has got to go out there and get the clients. And okay. I have a sneaking suspicion it was you. And so, it was 100%. So, so, how did you do it? <laughs> kind of like I walked down St. Germain Street with my manila folder. Yeah, very it's a little bit with Fortune 500 uh, accounts. So. Well, okay, how I, okay, it, it was me. It's, it's, I have no, I, I have no, I don't even call it sales. I felt we had something they needed and I am not timid to go and share what I think that they could use and how it can help their business. So to me, it's not sales, it's a gift of service. Right. So um, you were out there gifting, but how did you do, tell us about your gifting strategy. Okay. How did you do it? <laughs> okay, what I- management uh, process. Okay, um, I'll give you an example. Um, before anyone, again, this is gonna merge with my whole deal about money and purpose. Right. Back in 2010, so 11 years ago, before anyone's talking about social good, it's like women want brands to do social good. So that was a platform I started back in 2010. Uh, and how what I did for visibility was I authored articles 
and um, that would get published. And that led to media interviews. People would call, oh, McDonald's is doing this. What's your opinion as the expert in marketing to women? And so that gave me uh, that visibility. And then what I did was put together a beautiful package. Um, now I'm a female, so it was an outer case, hand sewing, which I personally sewed, nice little rivets with my dad, which my dad personally put in place, <laughs> and then beautiful paper graphics. And I would send this package that would have a ribbon and then layers and then a wrap. And then, and I'll, I would just get the name. Who's the CMO at Pfizer? Who's had a research at Novartis? Who's, and I would send this package and also it had a subtle scent to it. We actually branded our own scent and not many people would notice it. Some would say, oh my God, that smelled so great. <laughs> but um, we, I believe in the importance of emotional connection. So we were touching them on every level of sensory and I would mail that package and I would be persistent. Hello, Richard, it's Story Molitor calling. I just want to make sure you got my package. I'd love to talk to you. And, and I had... And it was persistence. Again, eventually they'd say, well, I'll tell you, you sure are persistent. And then I would say, well, was it too much? And they're like, no, actually not at all. So I want to talk to you. We have this challenge coming up, blah, blah, blah. So it was having us. I have to ask, because I'm just curious, did you, did you use a CRM? Did you have an Excel sheet? Did you have like a massive list and that you were like going through? Like, did you get up in the morning and did you have to do your 25 follow-up calls to these people that's the date came up or I don't know how did you manage the whole uh process and then the other thing is I I sort of picture you to like you would really excel in sort of face to face so I was I would have imagined that you would have been doing events or doing something where you're like actually out there physically in front of people like getting because like what you're saying it's like you're talking about more guerrilla sort of direct marketing tactics you're mailing people stuff and then you're following up with calls and stuff like that Anyway, just I'm, I am really interested in how you how you did all this because it is it blows me away how you can get all these big name clients like it's hard <laughs> I mean, it's really hard. You know, okay, just being me, I didn't try to be anyone else, and so if they wanted the buttoned up MBA, blah blah blah, then that wasn't us. Right. So number one was just being authentic and me. Um, number two, I am. Um, I'm an extrovert and I liked calling these people. It's not like I, oh God, I have to check off 20 phone calls today. Um, when I would actually connect with a person, I'd be like, oh man, I made a new friend. I talked to so-and-so wherever. So it, it, it was social in a way for me. Um, and I did do public speaking. So you mentioned that, that was more like, even sharing case studies, sometimes with a client, we'd get up and I'd talk about the insight we did and they'd talk about how they applied it. Um, but I didn't have, okay, we did, we did buy a list so we could get names who is, you know, at one point we did, but eventually you can find all that online. So I had college students doing all the research, right. basically um, they were interns in my office. So you can find the names. Um, and I didn't, I had my own, I mean, I'm not that big on, I'm not that great with technology. So I had my own little system, my call log sheet. I could pick any year. You tell me what year you want. 
I'll tell you every week who I call, what, what the act, uh, outcome was, what next steps were. And I had my own little system to know, oh, I'm supposed to call them in May. I believe, Dory, though, that also, and, and you're not mentioning this, but I have a feeling it probably was played a big role, is ref- once you started getting clients, you were getting referral. I bet you were getting referrals. I think, refer- did referrals help you? Because usually in a small quality-oriented business such as yours, it's the word of mouth. Like you, one CMO, or they go to another, they change jobs, and they, yeah. they, you know, and they go and they bring you on again or, or their yeah. conference. Uh, was that- I think the biggest challenge and the biggest benefit was these marketing people change jobs every year and a half, it, either within the company or they leave the company. So mm-hmm. you are absolutely right. Like um, um, made one of my last jobs before I left the agency. And I do want to talk about what I'm doing now, yeah, we'll talk about but that. it was, but it was a guy who was my first client at Pillsbury. Then he was my client at Land Lakes, And then, then he was president of a keeps on giving. I love to call those guys the gift that keeps on giving. We've have, I know exactly what you're talking about. They just go. Yeah, so it was, it was less of them saying, Oh, you should call Dory. It was more of them moving on and bringing me and my agency in at their new company, at their new company. Needed, now, the other needed. side of that coin is, you know, we'd be working with them and then they would get a new manager on the brand and then they want their people. So yeah. it, it was a plus and a minus. Okay, so and I, I, just a couple of observations. One is process. That uh, You were talking about a manual process, but you don't, if you can't sell buying salesforce.com will not solve your problems having a good process knowing what you're doing doing the right things you, that can be done by pen and paper although which is not to say technology is bad the other is like having a specialization that you know you and it's so when you talk about it, it's so obvious that and like we, a lot of business people are men and you know obviously you're a bit you're a bit too young but you know we all not all many people have seen mad men the idea that the advertising industry was dominated by very old-fashioned men i'm sure you came across that so you know if you're selling to women you don't have to think long and hard well maybe if we're selling products to women or women are the decision makers it's not a bad idea to have a female perspective in the room i mean it's kind of obvious but but if you're the first person saying that then it's you who gets the chance to solve that problem. So that's so it's like having the insight and having the process. And I was just going to ask how competitive you are. That you know you've talked a lot about team, but you've also talked about winning and being top. And I could you sort of and when you play sport, do you did you ever have time for sport? Do you, and if you're or with your children, if you're playing table tennis with your kids, I like winning. To- I like winning. <laughs> no, I am. I am. I am. I am competitive, but. To be honest, I'm more competitive with myself than anyone else. I, every day, at the end of the day, I look at, okay, how did I move my life forward today? Am I further ahead than I was yesterday? So I am extremely competitive and have higher expectations from me than I ever did anyone around me. Um, But I am competitive, yes. I, I like to win, but it's not on, by stepping on other people at all. I believe in what I have to offer, and um, and it, it's yeah. So how? Let's switch to how did you? How could you let go of your baby? This thirty-year marketing agency. What drove you to take that decision? And what was the pivot? And did you sell it? Did you? What, what did you do with it? And and what? And then what? And what? And what, you know, what are you doing now? Like, how did you transition yeah. and why? 
So 30 years, um, I'm speaking on international stages. I'm a thought leader as it relates to um, insights with women. I was invited to do a TEDx talk. I know, Richard, you've been involved with that on how women are recalibrating the American dream. Um, I had just built out my dream office, a brand new space. Um, and it was home-like with kitchen and living room because that was the way it, it was conducive to how we did our research with women. And um, I thought I had it all. Um, an influential voice a career I was proud of, a loving family, um, a great lifestyle. Sounds like you had it all. Yeah. Um, and, and then I did it. And then I didn't. Um, my husband, um, who was my business partner husband of 37 years, was diagnosed with young onset Alzheimer's. And at that point, literally within two months, I shuttered my agency and I became his primary caregiver. Oh my God. So, um, and we went and I'll did keep on that. We, um, it was a five-year journey. Um, and then he passed away in July of 2017. And at that point, I was um, more than physically and emotionally exhausted. I no longer was a business owner. I felt I was stripped of my identity. Um, I was looking at a bleak future given um, my age and I didn't have the passion and the energy to rebuild an agency again. And um, at the same time, I guess I'm mourning the loss of him and I'm also questioning my own life and saying, if that were my funeral, did I do what I was here to do? And even though in my business, uh, the agency work, we were about guiding clients to um, impact women's lives and do social good. So in my whole agency work, I always said, it's my profession, it's my passion, and it's my cause. But I sat at this moment, and as dark as it was, it's like, that isn't enough. That is not, I did not do what I was here to do. So I went on a two-year journey of self-discovery to really figure out what it is I meant to do. And I immersed, emerged from that. that. What was it? Can you just, I mean, I, I'm fascinated. This, you, this has turned to extremely riveting <laughs> listening material here. So I'm just fascinated to what was this two-year, I mean, I don't know if you, maybe you were about to say, what was the two-year? Are you traveling or meditating or shutting yeah. yourself away? Um, no, I wasn't traveling. Um, I um, did a, a sought out um, workshops and courses, did a lot of reading, sought out mentors, and, um, and, and, and two of them, key was Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi. Mm -hmm. And through that whole process, I realized my superpowers I realized the gifts because I sat there and thought, I have, what am I going to do? Okay, I turned 60 the day after my husband's funeral. So I'm sitting there at age 60. Most people at this age are supposed to retire, right? And I'm like, what do I do next? Yeah, but, but you're after so young and so much energy. I mean, come on, that's not. 
the case. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, but people thought I was crazy. Right. So I went through that journey and real, saw myself through a new lens, saw what I had to offer the world, um, to bring it, bring it to that. And at the age of 62, I launched my whole new business that I'm doing now. Um, my original, my agency was called Woman Wise in our the agency. I still am woman wise, mm -hmm. but my focus now is rather than being a megaphone for women's voices at the corporate strategy table, my next level purpose is to guide and inspire women to find their own voice to step into their power and to live a life that is brings them meaning and fulfillment. And I'm just so going to start, I, I was just going to stop you there. That the, there's a, a lot of people think that entrepreneurship is about young, cool-looking people from Silicon. There's, there's a sort of young startup myth. The average startup founder is in their mid-40s, according to Harvard Business Review. But this is just so important for people to realize. You don't. You may be 51 years old listening to this today. It could be you start your business in 10 years from today. There isn't a there isn't a right time in your life in this. Once you've got the idea and the potential business model and the customers. It can be any passion and the passion. And here's what's different too, that people need to like shift your mindset. So I'm okay. I started my business at 62. My dad's 94 and going strong. I have at least 30 more years. So what am I going to do golf every day? Um, so I think that this whole idea of retiring, first of all, the minute you stop, I think your brain stops, your body stops, and you die. <laughs> so we have 30 years yet. I and I have 60 plus years of experience, of learnings, of skill development. And it's just like, so what's what do I do with that? So I'm a firm believer and I coach with women now that we can, our best years are still ahead because we have all this to bring to it. So I um, have two really signature programs. One is Unlock Your Purpose, which is a four week process where I took some of my key things from my two years and put it into a framework where I guide women to reveal and uncover their unique gifts and what they were called to do. Um, and so that's one of them. And then the other that I um, just launched is called Aging with Power. And it's really, again, targeted at women, 50 plus, um, who think well, we, all this anti-aging messaging and aging bias, is, it is working against women more than men. We're supposed to stay youthful and young and beautiful. Men can get gray and old and we can't. But then, but then we die. And you, don't. And you die. And we're going to rule. So my whole thing. Thank you. Thank you. That comes to my mission is to help women see the powerful force that they are. And in doing that, I am raising female influence yeah. in the world. So that's what my bigger mission is and so how did you so tell i mean tell us a little bit about again like i'm always just fascinated in the, just the story like so how did you how did you get how did you start this okay see so what are you consolidated you had this information you had these two years of like under you yeah. know finding yourself and, and getting a framework but once again that's not a business i mean <laughs> what did you how did you then start 
well, you, you set up a web, whatever, you had your agency, whatever, you had some, the okay. infrastructure might've been there and stuff like that, but still it required doing stuff to go out there and get people to sign up for this per for you, who I don't know whether they, you know, how, again, where you just start going out there and start talking and well, how did you do it basically? How did you get? Well, the first, yeah, first of all, this is the scariest endeavor that I've done in my whole career. It, this is, it, uh, I, I had this idea and it's like, again, going back, it's like, I don't know how to do anything. I have people come in my word, my word document isn't working. My email isn't working or, you know, I, all I do is orchestrate people. So when I had this idea, I went and I talked to ex uh, past employees, past clients, um, some friends, and they were all like, oh my God, are you kidding, Dory? That's what you always did. Yeah. You always saw um, my gifts when I didn't see them. You were always, you were, it's because of you that I went from here to there, which I didn't really see that. So that then validated, okay, maybe I have this to, that I can, um, can do, can do this. Um, and um, I mean, I was, I, I put together the program, but I'll tell you what's really the hardest thing. You know me, I didn't, I barely use Excel. Here I am in a really, oh, here's another thing. My training with Dean and Tony, um, uh, Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi was also about online education and uh, setting up your business to do it and how you, I mean, I was using Zoom way before COVID happened. Right. Um, so again, it was like a gift of timing because this, I started this and then when I first started, people were like, well, I don't want to do it on Zoom. Can we just like do it in a meeting room at a hotel or something? And now they're like, even my one-on-one, some is one-on-one -on -one and most of it's group. Um, now they're like, I don't want to spend the time driving to a hotel. Yeah, let's hop on, on Zoom or in a private Facebook group. So a, a blessing again was that this happened to me. You know, even my whole thing with my husband, I can, one thing I learned out of that tragedy is what seems like a setback can actually be a setup for something bigger and more. And I've never made this pivot. I would have gotten old running an agency. Um, and now in doing, but, but that, you know, that setback, everything crashed. I had to do something else. It actually is a setup for this next level in my life, which is way more purposeful, way more meaningful. And it has given me more energy, more enthusiasm. I, I have people say, you look and you're feel, you're like younger than you were 10 years ago. And it's because I believe in what I'm doing and I love what I'm doing. Awesome. I mean, you came to terms partly with your own mortality, probably in that situation, like you just saw, you know, it can happen Absolutely. to me. And then, you know, that just that self, that's, that's probably a very powerful thing when you think, well, and then you said yourself, I mean, did I do everything? Did I achieve everything I wanted to achieve? Am I doing is what I'm doing purposeful and all that. And, yeah, and tomorrow, anybody, boy, I saw firsthand. Anybody listening to this, <laughs> it clearly senses, uh, you know, your 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 energy, uh, and you know, your the joy you have actually for doing this. And so, and and so you do. So basically, obviously, you're doing it, and you're doing it successfully. And I guess 
And so that gives you, it is fulfilling for you, I guess, that you actually can see people that you're, that you work with blossoming and, and finding, like, do you have any nice stories? Do you have any nice, nice story of somebody that you helped and something that they, yeah. they, they became, I, I, you know, it might be a nice. Well, um, okay. So uh, I'll just, I'll pick two women. Okay. So one woman, and both of these happen to be in the unlock your purpose because my aging with power is actually just launched mm -hmm. September 1st. So that's uh, newer, mm -hmm. but my um, aging with purpose. So one woman, and there's so many stories. It's so impactful in their mm -hmm. lives. Okay. I'll take one woman who um, uh, I just touched base with her. She went through the, the program six months ago and I'm like, Hey, Patty, you know, how's life? What's happened since this, um, the experience is way more than a workshop. It's, yeah. it's an immersive experience. And she's like, well, Dory, um, she has in six months, she started a new business, got a name trademark, set up a website and, um, they are going, it's called European travel delights. She is in France right now, um, setting up her, it's merging her passion for food and travel and wine. And she's setting up this tour thing. She, they're running their first tour in May and they're almost sold out. They have 22 signups already and they just announced it. And so she said in our conversation, she goes, you know, it, it really got me connected with what I'm passionate about. And I kind of had this thought sort of back there, but she goes, she says in this case, uh, the experience with me was the flame that made it happen. She goes, I am sure two years from now, I would have been sitting there saying, oh, wouldn't that be a nice dream to start that business? And when she went through this, she realized that's what she is passionate about, wants to do, and where she wants to spend her time. That's awesome. one example. I'll give you, uh, I'm just going to pick another woman that was in her same group. Um, where she might have been. Anyway, I'll give you the other side is a woman who is a talented woman. She was in the group and going through the, uh, the process, she, she was a bit lost, I'll just say. And I could see her gifts and her passion. And she's really like this healing light in a way that just emanates and helps people feel good and find their way. She is also an, uh, a graphic artist. Um, six weeks after she completed the program, she was diagnosed with um, stage four breast cancer. Oh my God. And I know. And she has been in touch with me so many times. She is, she's like, Dory, I am more alive, more um, optimistic, more driven, and it's than I ever was. And you know what? This breast cancer was is really something for me to take me to my next level because I realized going through this, I wouldn't be in this mindset set if I hadn't gone through your course, but I realized that it was happening for me and I need to take that. And there's an opportunity in how I might use that to help other women, which is partly with her art and partly with her, her healing spirit, if you will, just it, 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 that sounds kind of woo woo, but um, she'll be doing stuff more like art therapy. 
She obviously can connect with any woman dealing right. with any kind of cancer. Right. And so she, she, I mean, it was two weeks after she was diagnosed and she calls me and she goes, Dory, I can just hear you saying, yay, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, well, I don't think I would say exactly. yay, but there is an opportunity yeah, here. Exactly. That's yeah. funny. I mean, that's crazy. I know what you're saying, though. That's crazy. So I, I wanted to, we'll certainly ask you to share with us a few links and things to different resources that you've been talking about. So people listening to this will upload that into the show notes so people can follow up if they want to see your courses. But we've got listeners from all over the world, and I'm kind of guessing that it's not rock bottom cheap to sign up on your courses. Could you give us sort of a benchmark of, about what sort of ticket prices people need to find if they're going to sign up? And, you know, is there an alternative? People don't have money, like they can read your book or, you know, because quite often people like you aren't just doing it for the money, as you've told us. So I imagine you wouldn't want to turn people away who are interested in your ideas, who don't, who don't have a, a, I don't know, whatever it is, 500, $5,000, $50,000 or whatever it costs to be, to be your class. So could you just comment on that and what, what people, what people who are interested in your ideas who don't necessarily have enough money should do? Yep. Okay. So um, my biggest passion is unlock your purpose because, you know, another student, I just love what she said. She goes, you know, Dory, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it starts affecting everything you do. It changes your life in every dimension. Um, all because you know what you're here to do and you're more purposeful with your time and everything. So unlock your purpose. I'll talk about that one. It is way underpriced <laughs> in that right? Um, it is $2,000 US. Um, and so it is a four week process, um, two, two hour sessions, um, each week. So, um, you know, eight total sessions, 16 hours, but the big part of that is, as you know, I did research with women uncovering subconscious drivers. Um, the big gift out of it is I personally walk alongside every person and I do the process with them and help them because sometimes it's hard to see your own superpowers, your own um, situation, purpose moments in life and what they were for and what you get out of it. So I spend a lot of time myself on each woman individually to help them see it and get there. So that's that, that course, Unlock Your Purpose. And then the Aging with Power, which I just started, and I'm using it a bit as, um, well, certainly to get women to, um, to be more vital, shift their confidence, and believe that they can still create their best years are still ahead. And I am doing that. So here's a, for all you listeners, um, every Wednesday, I post in LinkedIn and Facebook free training on aging with power. So, um, okay. yep. So that's available. It's there. It's free. Check it out. The last Wednesday of every month, we have wine and wisdom with Dory. <laughs> and um, that is a combo happy hour and live training. Um, and at the end of each month, there are different themes. So at the, it's an in-depth one-on-one via Zoom, not one-on-one group, but one, the opportunity yeah. for one-on-one coaching. Um, and that's uh, via Zoom. 
So uh, the each Wednesday, it's available. Grab it when you want, when you're available. The last, and it, it's a theme each month from sparking youthfulness to recognizing your magnificence to honoring you really your did, you did really embrace the tech stuff it's kind of funny to listen to you because you were talking about you know i'm not sure what the turning point on the tech stuff but it sounds like you're like a social media wizard now and you know how to you know how to use the platforms to uh to deliver you know i mean it's, you, you you just sound professional <laughs> like they like it within the <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I know you are, but you know what I'm saying? Because you were talking about how from a tech perspective and you're clearly using the latest, whatever, like we would do yeah. the same. So yeah, it's... You know, that's the thing to be in the online digital space, which I think the majority of my work will continue to be that. I, I, I am planning to do some wisdom vacations where maybe we go off to Bali and it's education and personal growth and exploration all in one. So I do see some destination um, programs like that, but uh, the online, I mean, people are getting used to it and um, I will continue doing that. And it, it's forced me to learn how to do the technology stuff. This this has been awesome. I have one last question and this is more for Richard. And and I know this is going to be a stupid question, but uh, uh, so it's exclusive, like can men join or is it only for, because this this is just right in Richard's wheelhouse of uh, he's getting older and he's, and he's- And his business interests are are winding down and he has to find purpose. So- (laughs) <laughs> I'm no, not I mean, gonna. I, if this was being, Isla <laughs> no Gaia, no, 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 Isla no Gaia. Um, no, I work with women, and they and, but like there must be men that want this. I mean, listen, I'm seriously, it's appealing. I'm not gonna lie, it's appealing. I'm a man, and what you're talking about is it sounds appealing. He but was it's, desperately it's, looking for purpose. <laughs> well, you know what? That's interesting too because I recently did a short training with the new uh, NYC executive forum and it was men and women and I hear this from men so at this point I have enough women to serve already and also I will say that you cannot put men and women in the same group because women will shut down It, it has to be safe it has to be a place where they can share their vulnerabilities um and their dreams and hopes. And, you know, I need to get to the truth, not whatever they're putting out there. So I would never see it working with men and women in the same group. That's interesting. Yeah. Have you thought about doing something for uh, servicing the other? I know that we're we're not as, you know, our our lifespan is much shorter. Our our prospects are dimmer. But have you thought about about lifetime value? It's okay. I like younger men. It's good. Well, Um, is much younger than me. Yeah, you know, not at this point. I mean, sometimes it's tempting, but um, I just feel... um, there's so, like I said, there is so much work to be done for women to just take their equal stand and bring their um, natural gifts to that the world that we have more of a feminine influence in, in, in our world. Um, yeah, well, my son can't even do it. So poor Andrew. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, I, I'd like to. I'd like to say thank you. I, in a moment, I'll ask ask Kimon to sort of to wrap this up. But just before we do, is there anything that you just in like a minute? Because we are running towards the end of our time. In a, just a minute or two, Doria. But uh, is there anything you'd like to share that you haven't shared that you think would be important for someone who's spent the last hour and a bit of their life listening to us chattering away? And I, I find it very interesting. I'm sure they have too. But is there anything you haven't said that you think you ought to tack on to the end of your message just to make it more complete? Yeah, I would say, don't waste your precious time you have here on earth. You, every person is a unique miracle. Um, there, there's no one with your DNA um, before, ever again, your personal experiences and stop living other people's expectations, obligations, and really get to know yourself love yourself and be true to yourself. And that's where you will find your greatest fulfillment. In linking to that, I also wanna say, get rid of this limiting belief that you can either make money or have purpose. That's so bullshit. If you believe that, you're right. If you believe that's not true, you're also right. So you gotta open your mind to it know who you are, find your purpose. And I'm telling you, you will have more passion, more energy, more enthusiasm, more determination, and you'll probably make more money and be more successful. So find your purpose, live your purpose. I agree. Absolutely. Totally. And, and that's obviously whether, even if we're, we people in your course are all women, those messages are as true for men as for women, obviously. So I think I'll, I'll say, I'll shut up now and just hand over to Kimon to do a little bit of formal closing of the podcast so came on over to you yeah i mean i i do agree though that, and that's something that actually all entrepreneurs a lot of entrepreneurs that we talk to share actually and that is something that we've a lot of people have freed themselves of is and, and that's a lot why a lot of people are successful entrepreneurs it's exactly what you're talking about is they're actually doing something they believe in they're doing something they care about and the money is just it's a it's the byproduct of 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 that passion and that energy so I, 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 could, I couldn't agree more. Anyway, so thank you, everybody. For, so first of all, I want to thank just the audience. We spent another hour and whatever, a couple minutes here talking to Dory. I thought it was fascinating. Uh, really great story. Um, thanks for all your insights and everything. I mean, really, Dory, it was uh, I mean, just coming from the farm all the way up to this. And, you know, with the twist, with the bitter, bittersweet twist at the end. I mean, really, really, really good, really, really nice story and, 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 and a very inspiring in my opinion. Um, I wanna thank, uh, so apart from the viewers, uh, my daughter, Magda Fantakidis, she actually does the graphic design and the video editing and she prepares the teaser that comes out for this. Um, we have a super intern, she's 17 or 18 years old. She, she's, her name is Magda Buiskosh. She does all the PR and promotion for us. And then obviously everybody at MBN who does their magic to make our voices when we when we crackle and and and, and don't come through perfectly they they smooth that all out and so that the podcast listeners they can get a nice smooth listening experience um, so thanks to them and so if you like this please do subscribe at NBM YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts and like comment share let us know what you thought and thanks again Dory really for a wonderful and very inspiring conversation today well, thank you for having me. You, you two have great questions. So it was a nice discussion. Thank you.